So this is part two. <laughs> Glad you all came back for part two uh, of my shifts happen message. Now I want you to turn to the person next to you and make sure you put the F in there. <laughs> shifts happen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you um, for this day, and we thank you for all the blessings you pour into our life. Thank you that we can gather in this space as a community, as a family, and worship you. And for those who are not here physically present, but are worshiping with us via Zoom, we pray for them as well, that they will sense your presence as we gather to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Whatever the next level is for you and me, we might need to make a shift. Last week, I kind of set the message up with some possibilities of shifts that we can make in our life in order to reach whatever that next level is that God is calling to you. The miracle that you and I desire to experience. I talked about the different sides of the boat. It might be just on the other side of the boat, which is where Jesus instructed the disciples to go. So you ask, Kenneth, what might, steps might I need to take to make a shift? Well, the text suggests three stages, three dimensions, or three actions that the disciples took to experience a shift in their situation. Three things that they did. And the first thing that they did was they confronted the truth confronting the truth. In the military courtroom drama, A Few Good Men, based on the play by Aaron Sorkin, Navy lawyer Lieutenant Daniel Kafer, played by Tom Cruise, is assigned to defend two Marines, private first class. And in search for the truth, the defense counsel hits this roadblock in the exchange between Colonel Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson, resulting in the movie's, probably the movie's most memorable scene, the powerful give and take between the defense attorney and the witness escalates to the point where Colonel Jessup speaks those five infamous words. Come on, somebody say it. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. In our text, the first action taken by the disciples was they confronted the truth. And if you and I are going to make any shift of any magnitude in our life, like the disciples in that boat this morning, this that morning, we cannot do so without confronting the truth. You'll know the truth, says John 8.32, and the truth will make you free. The Bible contains many stories of great people of faith who really struggled, struggled with being truthful, struggled with being brutally honest. They struggled with it about being truthful with God and about truthful with themselves. People like Abraham. Remember Abraham? What did Abraham do? He wasn't truthful when he said that Sarah was his sister and not his wife. Now, he said that because he said he wanted to protect Sarah, but I, I don't know. He wasn't truthful. In Mark chapter 14, Peter is not truthful when a servant girl walked up to him and said, hey, 
didn't I see you with Jesus? Weren't you with that Nazarene? And Peter said, no. And then she said, no, I'm sure it was you. And Peter said, no. And then she asked him a third time. And Peter said, hell no. <laughs> if the saints in the Bible struggled with being truthful, then it's probably say, to say that you and I sometimes struggle with being truthful. But there are also examples in the Bible where people were brutally honest. The Samaritan woman at the well in John, the fourth chapter, she was upfront with Jesus on her beliefs and she was upfront and truthful with Jesus about her lack of beliefs, all of her doubts. In John, the first chapter after receiving God's call, in Jonah rather, the first chapter in the third verse, after receiving God's call to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, Jonah makes an effort to put all the distance he could between himself and the people of Nineveh because he hated them and he said, truthfully, I'd rather they die than for me to preach to them. The disciples in our text also engaged in some truth telling. The reality of their situation was these were professional fishermen and they had spent the entire night laboring on the lake and had nothing to show for what they had done, nothing. When Jesus asked the disciples, do you have any fish? He wasn't asking them for his sake, but he was asking them for their benefits. Jesus asked, what do you have to show for all the time that you have spent? What do you have to show for your actions? I believe that Jesus understood that for a change or a shift to happen, whether it's in our financial world or in our educational world, in our family, in our health, in our race, in our relationships, in our spiritual walk, in our family, in an organization, for a ship to happen in this country, we must first be willing to face the truth. And here are three truths. Where are we? How did we get here? And what's not working? Where are we? How did we get here? And what's not working? If we want to experience a shift in our life from, from membership participation to economic dissipation to moral degradation to educational stagnation, political polarization, if we want to experience a shift in any of those areas, we got to start by asking, how did we get here? Where are we? And what's not working? We must be willing to confront the truth, where we are, how we got here, and what's not working. Without knowing whom it was that was speaking to them on that foggy morning, the disciples didn't pretend. They didn't say that everything was okay. They didn't say, oh, God, it's Peachy Keen and Kez. Instead, they confronted the truth. Their situation was that they had been fishing all night long, and they hadn't caught anything. Now, any of you ever been fishing? Any of you ever been fishing? I've been fishing a few times. The last time I went fishing was at 4 a.m. in Juneau, Alaska. Oh, my God. Can you imagine that? I was fishing. And the last thing that anyone who spends an entire day or entire morning on a lake 
fishing or in the heat of the sun wants to do is come home empty handed. Because as soon as the car pulls into the driveway, as soon as the key hits the door, the first question that someone is going to ask is what? Come on. Did you catch anything? <clears throat> Did you catch anything? I heard a story about a man who had been uh, fishing over a weekend with some of his buddies and, and he didn't catch anything. And so to avoid the embarrassment, he stopped by the fish market <laughs> on his way home. <laughs> and he bought about 20 catfish. So when he got home, if anyone said, how was your weekend, Dad? How was your weekend, honey? He would hold up and say, look what I brought home. <laughs> the disciples did not misrepresent themselves regarding what they had or what they did not have. Instead, they appeared to have come to terms with the truth of where they were and what was not working. And so in verse 5 of the text that Lisa read for us, when Jesus asked if you had any fish, rather than make believe, as if everything was going well, they confronted the truth. And they said no. They said no. Last fifth Sunday, we celebrate the time of uh, reconciliation and as I mentioned in the announcement this coming fifth Sunday next week we're going to look at recovery and one of the things that really fascinates me about recovery is the AA program I, as I, I've said to you and if you haven't heard my dad was an alcoholic and and so I grew up knowing that there's something in my genes that could just get triggered anytime I want to explore in that area and so I have refrain from that for that reason because he shared enough with me about alcohol and alcoholism that it scared the daylights out of me. I mean a man who used his entire paycheck at one time to buy alcohol having five children and not knowing how he was going to feed them. He got to the point where my mom was willing to walk away from the marriage and take the children with her just to get away from the disease. And so the 12-step program of Alcohol Anonymous, they have some steps that they, they say that you should, you should follow. Come to believe that a higher power is greater than yourself. Make a decision to turn or your will or turn your life over to God or your higher power. Make, make uh, searching for fearless uh, inventory, doing inventory of who you are. Make, make a list of all of the people that you have harmed and try to uh, amends, make amends with them. Make direct amends with such people if possible and continued personal inventory. But you know what the first step is? The first step is you got to admit that you got a problem. You have to admit that you are powerless. We have to admit that our lives had become unmanageable. That's the first step to admit and acknowledge the truth, the reality of where we are and how we got there. 
And what sometimes keeps you and me from our breakthrough, what sometimes keeps you and me from our deliverance, what sometimes keeps you and me from making the shift that we need to make in our lives is that we have not yet confronted the truth. You know what we do? We keep stopping by the grocery store and picking up fish. We say things like, I don't see color. All lives matter. Instead of confronting racism. We open new credit card accounts and shift the balance from one account to the next. We buy oversized clothes and keep up denial of that we're not exercising and that we're not eating in the right portions. We withdraw from the class and take an incomplete rather than sticking it out and getting the grade. We change doctors and get a sixth and a seventh and an eighth and a ninth and a tenth opinion rather than deal with the reality of our diagnosis. We go to another church because the message challenged us too much to deal with our unconscious or conscious biases, our stereotypes, our prejudices, and our hatred. Because sometimes we can't handle the truth. We pretend as if everything is okay when there is a void, there is an emptiness, because what we have been doing is not working. But we've refused to accept the truth. Because if we have to deal with the reality, then there's a possibility we have to change. And the, and the truth is, most of the time, we're not fooling anybody. We, we're not even fooling ourselves. I got issues. You got issues. All of God's children got issues. So Jesus showed up and in a simple question, he challenged the disciples to deal with the truth as it is. If they want to make a shift, they must first be willing to confront the reality of their situation. We have been fishing all night long and we haven't caught anything. So confronting the truth is critical to making a shift because it prepares us for step number two. And once we've confronted the truth, then we have to do what? We've got to make some tough decisions. We've got to take decisive action. Cast your net on the other side of the boat. Once the disciples confronted the truth, it became necessary for them to make some tough decisions. And the decisions included considering to change the location. Forgetting the familiar, put aside what they had become accustomed to, to ponder the possibility of a new paradigm. Did you like that? Ponder the possibility of a new paradigm. I just love playing with words sometimes. <laughs> they had to think about going in a new direction. What difference would it make to, to, to make just a shift from one side to the other side? 
We could understand it if Jesus told them to go out to another part of the lake. We could understand it if Jesus told them, come back another day. We could understand it if Jesus told them, change your bait. We could understand it if Jesus said, get a bigger net. What difference would it make to just shift fishing from one side to another side? The instructions of Jesus seem to make no sense. And honestly, I'm impressed that the disciples didn't question and protest and debate. In the wake of their already frustrating and unproductive night, the instructions Jesus gave them in the morning forced them to make a tough decision. And whenever we are confronted with the truth and face tough decisions to re that require us to make a shift, there are at least three deterrents. Three crossroads, three intersections which always seem to come in play. Whenever you and I are faced with a tough decision, watch out for these three things. Do I want to change? Do I want to change? Disciples had to ask themselves, do I want something different? They had a choice to either go home or give it another chance. And each of us today have to decide at a certain point in our life if we want to continue what we're doing. You know, my mom used to say, is that working for you? <laughs> or do we want to do something different? And this is the same question Jesus asked the man at the pool of Bethesda in John, the fifth chapter. Do you want to be made whole? What did the man say? He said, you know, Jesus, um, um, life ain't been no crystal staircase for me. It has some tacks and splinters in it. And Jesus said, I understand that you've had a hard way. I understand that there have been difficulties. I understand that there have been problems. But I want to know, do you want to be made whole? And if you do, Jesus said, well, pick up your bed and walk. Jesus said, don't let your past or your pride prevent your progress. The disciples were the professional fishermen. Jesus was a carpenter. And here you have a carpenter advising fishermen how to do. They could have looked at Jesus and said, uh, we appreciate your help, but... <laughs> You know, we, we got this. We got this. After all, we've been trained. We, we went to the school. Uh, we have a master's in fishing degree. You know, we, we've got this, Jesus. I don't even know if there's such a thing as that. <laughs> but they got the point. They decided that they would listen to Jesus. They wouldn't allow their pride to prevent their progress. Am I willing to learn something new? Some new ways of doing things? Not only do we have the hurdles of do I want to change and whether my pride is more important than my progress, but we must come to grips with whether or not we're willing to learn a new way, a new way of doing, a new way of being. The disciples were on the left side of the boat because in the past, that's where they experienced success. They were fishing on that side because that's where they have um, walked away and said, look what we've got. They were doing it because that is the way 
the things worked for them before. And they assumed that that's the way it will work for them for every time. So that morning they decided if they were going to keep open to learning something new, they had to switch from one side to the other side. And the same decision is before you and me each day. You, we, we've got to ask ourselves every morning. It's not just the ask yourself today question. It's the ask yourself every morning question. Is what I'm doing working for me? Question my mom used to ask, is it working? I believe it was Albert Einstein who defined insanity and AA has adopted these words as doing the same thing over and over again and expecting what? Different results. Or as one writer calls the seven last words of a dying church, and I've been in churches that have used these last words. We have never done it like that before. So the third thing, if we want to make a shift, we not only have to confront the truth, we not only have to be prepared to make some tough decisions and decisive actions, but finally, We've got to connect with the right people. We've got to connect. Each of us stand on the shoulders of someone else. None of us in here have made it where we are by ourselves. All of us. I don't even know whose shoulders I'm standing on. None of us have made it by ourselves. So we've got to connect with the right people. You see, the disciples did what Jesus asked them to. When they moved their net from the port or the left side of the boat to the starboard side of the boat. The Bible says that they caught 153 fish because they connected with the right person, Jesus. Alan Dirchman wrote a book entitled Change or Die. And one of the claims in his book is that a key to our destiny, your destiny and mine and our future, is connecting with people who are going where we sense God is calling us. For the disciples to make the shift they needed to make, it required them to connect with someone who was in line with what God wanted to do in their life. Connect with someone that could help them make the shift that maybe God was calling them to make. Today, <coughs> today as I close, Jesus has the same questions for you and me. You know, sometimes we read the Bible and we say, oh, that's 2,500, 3,000 years ago. One of the things I love about scripture is that it, takes us to shared human experiences. And Jesus has the same questions for you and me that he asked the disciples. Jesus, Jesus is walking down the aisles at your home, whichever room you're in. Jesus is walking down the aisles here at Bethel and Sino Church. And Jesus is asking the question, do you have anything in your net? 
Do you have anything in your net? Where do you stand in the situation that you're facing? Do, do, you, do you have, do we have anything to show for what we've been doing? Jesus is asking the same question. Do you need to make a shift? Do I need to make a shift? Jesus is trying to get us all to the truth. Because it's when we come to grips with the truth of our situation that we will make the tough decisions and take the actions required to really experience the breakthrough and the shift that God is calling us to. Are you ready? Am I ready to make a shift? Because shifts happen. <laughs> Let's pray. God, I don't know and I don't need to know what shifts you're calling any of us who are gathered here or those who are worshiping with us via Zoom. But I pray for the strength and the courage to make that shift in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.